Amen. Good to see you this morning. Happy New Year. Yeah. Grateful for John giving me the Sunday off last Sunday, but it's good to be back with you all too. We missed you. Um, please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, your holy word says that God is love. And so, Lord, if anyone can teach us what it means to love you, to love each other, to love this world, it's you, Lord. And we need you to teach us this morning. Transform us from the inside out, Lord. Let us not try to just kind of like tape things on the outside of the cup to make things look better, Lord. We want to be transformed from the inside out. We know this is something that your Holy Spirit is able to do. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, so for my children's sermon this morning, uh, you can probably tell that the plan today is to talk about the vision of this church, which can be summarized by saying that we're a community that's desiring to grow in love for God, for each other, and for the world. All right. Now, sometimes we put it differently, and we'll talk about the three C's of intimate communion, kingdom community, and grassroots commission. And if you want to hear more about that, you can check the vision tab on the website and read about that. Or we could talk about uh, how we want to grow upward, inward, and outward. There's all kinds of mnemonic devices here, so um, choose, choose which one uh, works best for you. Today, we're, we're going to talk about love. Um, but regardless of the fact that the goal today is really to do something of like a vision sermon, I'm also, uh, I'm going to do that and you'll hear more about that at lunch afterwards. Um, I also want to say up front that as I prayed for you guys and prepared this week, I felt like the Lord really wanted me to approach all of this in a really different sort of way. And I feel like he gave me this idea to lead us through something more like a biblical meditation exercise. And uh, so you'll see what I mean by that in a bit. But for now, heads up that this morning is going to be sort of half sermon, half vision talk, half meditation. So that's 150%. You guys didn't even know that was possible. Now, um, today is a great day in the church calendar. If you follow the Christian calendar, which, which really traces the life of Jesus. That's what the church calendar is. It's about helping us to concentrate on the person of Jesus. And in the church calendar today, it's the feast of the baptism of our Lord. So, of course, the gospel reading from Matthew 3 tells the story of Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan. Will you grab a pew Bible and turn there with me to page 808? To Matthew chapter 3, page 808, starting on verse 13. And what we find when we read this story closely is that this is not just sort of like a big moment for Jesus. It's a big moment for God's self-revelation of the Trinity. And we see all three members present as the Son of God is baptized. Verse 16 says, behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him. So we have God the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, and then the Father speaks in this audible voice from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So what we get in this passage, right at the front end of Jesus' ministry, 
is this public display of the eternal love that has always existed between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We kind of see it manifest on the human scene. And all of this happened in fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah spoke in our Old Testament reading today from Isaiah 42. Flip back there real quick. Page 602. Isaiah 42, verses 1 and 2 on page 602. I spoke on this passage last year on this day, so I'm not going to go that much into it. But notice how this passage is a prophecy of what's going to happen on the day of Jesus' baptism. So it's God speaking in this passage, and he says, Behold my servant. So he says, I want to... I want you to see. I want to present my servant to you. Whom I uphold, my chosen, listen to this language of love and affection, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I want to present someone special to me, somebody that's at the center of my heart. And this is what God the Father is doing with his son at his baptism. And then it says this, I have put my spirit upon him. We see that in the baptism. And he will bring justice to the nation. So that's why the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus to anoint him, to empower him for his ministry of justice to the nations. Now, this is different than our normal theology of the Holy Spirit. We're like, I have put my spirit on him so that he will have goosebumps. No. I have put my spirit on him so that he will speak in strange languages. No? So these things, they sometimes happen. But the main reason why God's saying, I'm anointing my son with the Holy Spirit right now, is so that there will be justice in the nations. Mm -hmm. Later on in this passage, it says, the coastlands wait for his teaching. In his law, the islands put their hope. So God's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a movement through my Holy Son. I, wanna, I want you to behold him for a second. I'm going to start a movement for him. And my plan is to transform the entire world. Right? That's what the anointing of the Holy Spirit is for. So right at the start of Jesus' earthly, earthly ministry, and right at the heart of existence, is this Trinitarian, three-in-one community of eternal holy, self-giving love. And we see it projected onto the human scene in this passage. This is love for each other, but it also extends to the world that God has made. In fact, the message of the gospel in the scriptures, the message of the gospel is that this triune God so loved the world that he was willing to pay the price for our sins, for our unholiness, at great cost to himself, in order that we who believe could be welcomed into this community, into this eternal, mysterious community of God, and be a part of his family forever. God wants to bring us into this eternal love relationship that's always existed between him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the gospel cleanses us, of, cleanses us of our sins, and it gives us access. Say access. Access. Jesus, in the gospel of John, says that he is the gate. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So the gospel gives us access. It gives us entrance into the family of God, into this relationship. And so we come to him, all of us, if we're going to come to him, like prodigals returning home. 
right? But we come to him learning to pray and learning to interact with him as our father. That's what Jesus longs for us. In fact, scholars debated for a while, but, no, but now there's sort of a broad consensus that Jesus was the first person in human history to regularly refer to God in this intensely personal way as our father and to teach his followers to do the same. So when Jesus talks like this, it's truly an original notion on the human scene. Of course, we see it a bit in the Old Testament, but when it talks about God as Father, it's always talking about him being the father of the nation of Israel. Or maybe there's some a little bit more personal language between the father and King David, and that's tied to this messianic thing that we sung about in Psalm 89. But Jesus goes so far as to regularly refer to God as Abba, as Daddy. So Jesus believed that the God of this universe, Almighty God, the eternal God, was scandalously available to us. And that even the least of his disciples could call on God as their father because Jesus has made a way for them to be a part of that family. Amen? Amen. Now, does it shock you? Is it a shock to your system? Or was it the first time you heard it that Jesus would use such intimate language for an eternal, almighty, holy being like Yahweh? the maker of heaven and earth. If it doesn't shock you, it probably should. This was actually one of the things that offended Jesus' critics the most. In his sermon, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis writes this, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in Him. As an artist delights in his work or a father in a son, it seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. I have a very dear friend who commonly refers to God as dad or daddy when he prays. And we grew up together in central Florida and uh, we both, neither of us went to church growing up, and we both ended up becoming pastors, so we stayed close over the years. But um, a few years back, a member of his church came up to him after a Sunday service and said to him, hey, you got to stop doing that, man. you got to stop calling God Dad. He said, it's weird. <laughs> and my friend responded, I don't think I can stop that. Because I don't do that for anyone else. I do that for me. I do that because I need that. Mm. And to know his story is to know how true that is. I still remember he and I throwing a football together uh, in front of his house under the street lights and seeing his dad. We were in seventh grade. His dad come out of the house and get into the car and drive away. And neither of us knew, for all intents and purposes, he was never coming back. And so... For this young man, he learned that to pursue God, to know God, is to be fathered by God. God is a father to the fatherless, according to Scripture. 
And even for those who had dads who stuck around, who really invested in us and loved us, however imperfectly, and it's always imperfectly, Jesus points us to our Heavenly Father as the one who sort of perfectly fulfills everything that our earthly fathers imperfectly stood for. And according to Hebrews 2, Jesus is like our big brother who secures our spot in the family for us so that we're able to be welcomed into God's family with open arms. Just before he died, Jesus told his disciples, in my father's house are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. But this promise of being brought into God's family is not just for the future. Did you know that? It's not just for the future. We can experience it now. In fact, we are experiencing it now. Mm -hmm. Because in the New Testament, the church is referred to as the household of God. As the very household of God. Now, when Jesus speaks of God as Father and of the church as the household of God, of course, he's speaking anthropomorphically. Say that with me. No, just joking. (laughs) In other words, he was using something we have common reference for as human beings to help us to grasp these eternal and spiritual truths about God. So we understand, of course, that God is not, you know, sort of the muscular bearded man in Michelangelo's painting, right? And that God's eternal dwelling isn't necessarily a mansion in the sky. Jesus is using an analogy here, a reliable a biblical analogy, an analogy that comes by revelation, but it's an analogy nevertheless. Jesus put it this way. He says, I speak to you of earthly things and you do not understand. How then if I speak to you of heavenly things? Now, when Jesus speaks of God as father and of the church as the household of God, he's speaking to us as these earthly creatures. And these kinds of analogies, he's saying they kind of put us in the right mental and emotional space to help us to better understand truth about who God is in his very nature. So it's not that there's no such thing as facts. Jesus is just saying this kind of language will get you closer to that truth. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Now getting back to the topic at hand, I want to enter that mental space a bit more deeply and do a guided meditation together. What do these images of the household of God, of God himself as our Father, what do these images have to teach us about our vision of growing in love for God, for each other, and for the world? Because I think that all of us, especially those of us who have spent much time meditating on the scriptures, we already know a lot more about what these three things look like than we even realize. In some ways, we just need our hearts and imaginations to kind of be activated to what the scriptures say. Now, the word of God is perfect. And our imaginations are imperfect. But I think in general that Christians today could benefit from using more of our imagination rather than less. To approach God more like little children, as Jesus put it. And to not be afraid to enter into these images that scripture is giving us. Shepherd, the vine, the branches... These sorts of images, they're supposed to help us. So for the next few minutes, I want to lead us through a bit of a meditation exercise upon this biblical image of the household of God. 
What does it look like? And I'm going to ask John to come up and play a little piano for us while we do this. And uh, if you think this is weird, um, we don't normally do this, so come back and we'll preach a normal sermon next week. Everything will be fine. Um, Okay, so I want you guys to imagine that you're part of a large, joyful, healthy household with a perfect father. I just want to say at the beginning, I know some of you were raised in relatively happy homes and healthy homes. Others face daily difficulties in their upbringing, in their houses. And uh, probably many of us are a mix. But regardless, let's try to sort of set that aside and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Think of a household with a perfect father. Someone that's like our Heavenly Father. I want everybody to close your eyes and try to settle in, but try not to fall asleep. Maybe some of us are realizing how tired we actually are. And we're going to go through this for several minutes here. Now, I want you to imagine this healthy and holy household full of warmth, kindness, fairness, and joy. And this perfect father at the center of it all. Imagine how the father loves all the members of the household. Imagine how the father loves you. What does he look like when he looks at you as you wake up in the morning and emerge from your room? What does he smell like? What does he feel like? you in for a hug. Imagine how he notices and appreciates the things about you that make you unique, even when no one else does. How he sees you and knows you. Imagine the inside jokes he has with just you. What does your father's face look like when he's praying? How does your heart feel towards this Father? How does that affect your attitude towards His will and the rules He has for His household? All this has to do with the Father's love for you and your love for the Father. Next, imagine the way that the other members of the house treat one another, how the Father wants them to treat one another in this kingdom household? What do the family meals look like? Smell the food and hear the voices. How do the members of the household talk to one another? What's the tone and tenor of their language? How do they approach the work of the household together? How do they play together? What does it look like when they're having fun? Do they freely share what they have with each other? How do they treat the younger, weaker, or more vulnerable members? When they have a disagreement or someone does someone wrong or lies or cuts someone down, What does reconciliation look like? 
are the times when the Father needs to step in to teach, to encourage, to discipline, to ensure a sense of fairness? All of this has to do with how the Father desires us to love each other. And like I said, it may be tough for us to imagine such a pristine picture. But if it makes it more tangible, let me throw in a new twist. Imagine that in addition to the Father, there's this perfect big brother. Now let's say his name is Joshua. Whenever you're unsure about what to do or how you should be acting, you just need someone to share your heart and frustrations with, Joshua is always there. Now thirdly, I want us to imagine how this household relates to the rest of the world, starting with their own neighbors. What is the reputation of this family in the neighborhood? Do they know their neighbors? Are they kind to them? Have they invited them over for dinner or broke bread in their neighbors' homes or gathered at the neighborhood barbecues? Do they have time to serve and help their neighbors? And are they willing to ask for help? Imagine the father is having a spiritual conversation with one of the neighbors out in the front yard. What does his face look like as he listens to his neighbor? What kinds of questions does he ask? And what about the rest of the city? How is this family like salt and light in the wider community? Do they notice and pray together about the things that are unjust? How has the father trained his kids to interact with the needy, the elderly, the homeless? And what about the wider world? What is this family's perspective on the nations? How do they use their money and resources to bless the poor in the two-thirds world? How do they support the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth? And as a member of this household, what part of this family vision are you most passionate about? What part is the consistent theme of your prayers for this hurting world? John. Now let me end just by asking a few follow-up questions, and maybe a couple of you are bold enough to share. Maybe some of you guys might want to wait until we're over there for our core Sunday lunch. How did that speak to you? What was the Lord impressing on your mind? Maybe one or two of you can just raise your hand and share. Mm. Um, like, that's what I imagine, like, had a lot of 
So Alejandro was saying that he imagined uh, a, a big household of kids, but they were always really attentive. They wanted to watch the father do what the father does. And they were interested in seeing how he talked to the neighbor and just kind of watching him and curious about him and also curious about the big brother. Yeah. Anyone else? What, um, what maybe surprised you? Maybe there was a surprising insight that kind of like, oh, oh, okay, surprised that kind of went down that path. Anybody have one of those? Yeah, right. Um, there wasn't, so I grew up with uh, three brothers, um, and so I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> when you were speaking, what just kind of naturally happened was there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of noise, um, and there was a lot of satisfaction just in being present with one another. So that's it. Yeah. So sense of sense of quietness, peace, satisfaction to just be with one another. Just one more question. What um what new insights came up for you about loving God, loving each other, and loving the world around us? To bring back to our vision for a church because if the church is the household of God mm-hmm. and we're just kind of meditating on like what would a household of God look like mm-hmm. right so how how is that supposed to impact us as the local church like what what new insights came for you about loving God loving each other or loving the world yeah so I have this just amazing thing when you asked like how we serve how it's like you know yeah. Um, and this is not to put my kids in the book, my myself too. <laughs> but like I know like on Saturday mornings when I say, I don't think I'm going to say, oh, you know, like you know, And then I think myself, true confession, there are times where I serve the church because I know I'm supposed to be a Christian. And I just heard like in my mind, in that house, it's not the Christian. And I'm going to serve like, oh, Hey, let's put on some music and clear the table together. Yeah. Um, just a joy to the way we serve. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that really hit me as you were looking at the broader world is thinking in a house of that kind of love where we believe in the love of the Father that much, there would be this desire to be like, who's adoption to? Like, yeah. we want everybody to be coming in because of all the joy of the house. Amen. Yeah, so I love that that um, that question about like how do you go about the family work together, like in the household, like that sense of collaboration, you know, willingly, not under compulsion. Yeah. As that comes from First Peter five when it talks about how elders should serve, right? Yeah. Um, and so this sense of joy, collaboration, like yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this together, and um, yeah, it's good, Michaela. Um, you're talking about like going out into like having a family to the world. Um, like in the household, there's like the number of kids you can't count. <laughs> yeah. Um, just like I imagine when they like left, they all like somehow got in one van. And like they all like <laughs> together. And then like even like serving the community, maybe 
Amen. Many, many kids, but, but one huge van, like a mega bus van, and they all go out together. And I think that's true to the biblical image. Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And brothers and sisters, those rooms Jesus is preparing are for you. He goes to prepare a place for you. And if that's the case in the afterlife, then his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to learn what does it mean to live as members of God's household now, today. That's what we're trying to do as a church when we start talking about you know, vision statement and what's our mission together and all this sort of stuff. It's as simple as saying, what does it mean to be a part of the household of God, to take on the family culture, to be a chip off the old block? And there are, you know, practical kind of conversations and things that will kind of updates will give you during our lunch. And, and that's great. But I just want to just bring it to this simple place of what does it mean to call God Father, to call Jesus our big brother, and to be a part of his household with many rooms, many kids, and the bus going out. And us being like salt and light in just very natural ways to each other and to the world around us. Amen? Amen. So let me, let me close in prayer. And I want to ask you to either stand or kneel. And uh, I'm going to ask the person who's leading the prayers of the people to get ready to lead us into that. Father in heaven, teach us how to be a part of your household. We thank you that the same joy, the same love that you had as you rejoiced over your beloved son, Jesus, is ours through him as your sons and daughters. Lord, will we not be ashamed to lay hold of it? Not trusting in our own righteousness or our own worthiness for it, but just because we believe you. That that's what you, that's what you wanted to do. That that's the good news. Would we trust in you through the sacrifice of your son that's made us clean, that's made us worthy to come into your household and, and in this life, we're still bringing our sinfulness in there. And we're asking you to, to, to form us, Lord, to shape us, to help us become a chip off the old block in the way that we love one another, and in the potency of our witness to this world that you also love.